Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 547. Today is Tuesday, October the 9th, October the 9th, November the 9th, 2010. And uh, we're going to talk today about kind of the, not really the differences, but actually the commonalities between people that call themselves preppers, survivalists, and homesteaders. We're also going to talk about the um, the societal view of all three groups, specifically society's view of people that label themselves survivalists or people that society labels survivalists. We're going to talk about uh, what role it plays as any member of any one of those groups to go out and look at things that we occasionally talk about, like economics and politics. We're going to talk about why I think we're actually the normal people. I think that people that focus on individualism, self-reliance, liberty, and independence are the normal people. And I think most of society has gone stark raving crazy. That's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do, though, let's take care of our housekeeping. Housekeeping item one, let's take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, BulkAmmo.com. Again, B-U-L-K-A-M-M-O.com, BulkAmmo.com. New sponsor, brought them on last week. Um, if you have not yet checked out BulkAmmo.com, please do. They have some of the most competitive prices that I've seen on the, you know, the common ammunition that most of us are looking for. 308, 3006, 45 ACP, 9mm, 40 Smith and Wesson, that stuff. Um, they're also running a great, uh, contest where you can win 500 rounds of ammunition and an ammo can. I'll put a link to that contest uh, in today's show notes. Basically, you're going to go out and uh, if you have a blog or a, a website or something, you can do a little story about them. Give them a link and, and let them know about it, and that'll get you in the, the, the drawing one time, so to speak. And then you can either follow them on Facebook or Twitter, and when you do that, let them know about the follow, and that'll get you you know either one entry or, if you've done both, two entries. And then at the end of the contest cycle, they'll do a drawing and give away a 500 uh, count of ammo, your choice of ammo variety, and that ammo can. So... Great thing for a new sponsor to step up and do. Again, I'll put a, a, a note about that. But contest or not, guys, if you need ammo, check these guys out. If you're thinking about buying some ammo for a spouse or a friend for uh, Christmas, check the guy, check them out. You know, if you're thinking about buying some ammo, why not buy a bunch of ammo and give some of it away and keep some of it, you know? Or do, you know, get some folks together and do a group buy. Um, I think this is a great new sponsor. Please check them out. Next up today, knifekits.com. The reason I love knife kits. So you let a guy like me that's not a knife maker make knives. Uh, or if you are a professional bladesmith, they give you the raw materials you need to make knives. So whether you're just starting out in learning the craft of blade making and knife making, or if you're a seasoned expert, you can get what you're looking for at Knife Kits. I said this before. These guys have uh, mammoth tusk uh, handle material. Actual mammoth. I don't even know where you get that. Uh, but if they have that, as you might imagine, everything else that's kind of common or even a little bit exotic as far as woods like ironwoods and things like that, they've got everything. Check out KnifeKits.com for all of your knife-making needs, including just a new hobby to uh, spend more of your time learning a new skill with. Uh, next up, remember, do follow us. I mentioned in the contest for Bulk Ammo that one of the ways you could do uh, their contest is follow them on Facebook and Twitter. Um, make sure you follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Put a lot of information out through both mediums. I would really like to get the group of you guys together that use Twitter often to be like my retweet brigade. Like anything we put out, you guys retweeted. If we could get five or six people doing that normally uh, on a regular basis, I think that would really help us reach a lot more folks on Twitter. If you're interested in that, just send me an email, jack at com, and put Twitter in the uh, in the subject line. I, I could use some help with that. Last but not least, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. Members, and uh, we'll leave it at that today. Uh, you'd be supporting the show at 20 cents an episode is what it comes out to. All right, let's get into the main topic today. So like I said, today, I wanted to do something a little bit different, a little bit of a change-up, something that would be more of just kind of me, me talking with you instead of uh, something with a big 
pile of research behind it, um, different than the call-in shows, just kind of go back to some of the things that we did uh, in the early days and revisit some of those topics and it, kind of the viewpoint I think that maybe the whole audience has had change on them over the two and a half years that we've done the show. And uh, I think nothing could be more than just looking at who we are and how society views us, how we view ourselves, why we do what we do, and what our kind of recipe for success in our own lives really is. How do we get what we want um, out of our lifestyles? How do we live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't? So let's start out today with what is a survivalist? And let's start out with the, I guess, the easy definition. What, According to the average American who has been told the answer by mainstream media, what is a survivalist? What, what is a survivalist? A survivalist, according to that viewpoint, is this guy that kind of lives out in the middle of nowhere, maybe Idaho or Montana or something like that, and uh, well-armed, always armed, always has a gun on him. I always have a gun on me, but I guess I'm not a survivalist in that viewpoint, right, because I live in a city. Um, lives off the land as much as he can, stockpiled enough food to last through Armageddon. Uh, usually a loner, small group, anti-government, um, anti-society, uh, generally always white, you know, usually some overtones of racism. I'm not saying this is what these people are, I'm saying this is the, this is the societal viewpoint, but it's that guy believes in every conspiracy theory under the sun, is crazy on some level. That's society's view. What is the real survival? Who is the real survivalist? Well, i got to tell you, the, the, like a lot of myths, some things have grounding in truth. And that person exists. And that person does call themselves a survivalist. That exact description that I just gave you, every bit of the negative and the positive of it, Exist. There are real people just like that out there. And I'll tell you that the only thing that I really have an issue with is, is the, the, the subgroup of that group that has the racism issue. Everything else, if that's what you want, fine, I don't care. You want to live out in the middle of nowhere? I understand. I'd like to live out there too. Maybe for a different reason, but I like it out there. Um, you want to have a, you know, a couple years worth of food supply stocked away? Fine, I've got a year. Right? I understand. But the, mentality is where I think we split away reality from truth. Most people that live that way are not necessarily any government any more than the average American who pays attention is. They've just chosen a different lifestyle. And there's this, this, this hodgepodge of everything from the urban survivalist, you know, all the way out to the person that's out in the, on the frontier, what's left of it somewhere, and everything in between that calls themselves that. And if you label yourself that way, the, the mainstream society and the mainstream media kind of paint you as the only reason you're not out there hiding from the black helicopters in the bunker is because you don't have the means yet. That's where you'd re, that's where you'd want to be, and that's and but it's really that way. You're living that lifestyle here, and I guess a lot of people out there in the mainstream would paint me that way. And I don't think it's fair. And I don't think it's right. And I think the problem with it isn't that you don't agree with me, that's okay. The problem is it's short-sighted, and it limits what we have to teach people. Because we have a way to teach people how to be independent, self-sufficient, self-reliant, so when the shit does hit the fan, and it's not just the end of the world, but any shit hitting the fan, we can help people get through it. Because if you're prepared for a complete collapse, then a lot of things that people see as huge disasters can be minor inconveniences. If you're not killed by the initial catastrophe, you can get through anything. And that's what I think survivalism is really all about. I'll talk about where the conspiracy theory and the politics come into it in a little bit. But that's you call my, my view of survivalism. My view of survivalism is even the negative stereotype is part of who we are. Like I said, that guy exists. All the way back to the extreme moderate such as myself. And people that I would say even are more moderate than me. That I would still classify as a survivalist. So where does a prepper come in? To me, a prepper is 
one, a lot of them are actually survivalists that decided the word is less likely to get them stereotyped, and you just fit in the other category. But if you're just a pure prepper, to me, the, the difference is a survivalist is worried about the skill and the resource, and the, the ability to think, adapt, and overcome, right? Where the prepper's just worried about, here's all the stuff I use every day, <clears throat> and here's all the things that could take it away, now I'm going to build up a surplus, And if I lose the ability to get it on a daily basis, I have a storage, I can rely on that until the system comes back into functioning operation. That's prepping in a nutshell. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's something that I think is a good gateway for a lot of people to get them into not just the storage mentality, not just the prepper mentality, but a, a deeper thought. And under, a fundamental understanding of the, fr the fragility of the human condition right now. A fundamental understanding of the slavery that we all exist in that's not some maniacal, you know, conspiracy theory based slavery. It's a self-induced slavery. It's a self-induced slumber. And I think that people that get into the survivalist mentality discover that. Whether it's what motivates them or not, it doesn't matter. But as soon as you start to think about, okay, well, if all the systems fail and I have my reserves, and then after I've pulled from my reserves, I still need things, how do I use the resources that are just around me to get by, to, 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 to go further than my reserves will take me? And then you start to see all of the things that are available to you right now. And then that leads you to ask the question, well, if all this stuff's available to me right now, And if it would still be available to me in a catastrophe, and if just my knowledge and my skills will take me there, then why am I not using these things now? Why am I, why am I relying so much on Madison Avenue and China and Walmart? You know? Why, why, so to me, prepper leads you to survivalism. And then you go into that spectrum wherever you're comfortable. Whether it's the person that, you know, religiously listens, to everything that a guy like Alex Jones says and believes every single word of it, whether it's a guy like me that occasionally listens and goes, good point, good point, probably right, no, you've gone off the deep end. Yeah, you're out there in la-la land now. Okay, now you're back into reality, whether it's that person or whether it's the person that says, I'm a survivalist, but I think all that conspiracy theory stuff is nuts. And the things that go along with that, And the reason those, I'll save kind of a part of this, but a reason that that even matters is because how much you, you buy into things like that determines how you choose to live your life. So my view is if it affects how we choose to live our life, including if I actually do the same things every day, but what I'm thinking about and how I think, if it's going to influence me that much, I better examine it deeply. And I better not trust anything that anybody says, including Jack Spierko. Everything I hear that I'm going to use in my life, I better question. I better question it. I better examine it. I better resolve it. And then I better adapt it to my life. And then I better make it my own. And then I'm going to go forward with it that way. I'm just not going to swallow it like a pill and go forward. I don't care who it comes from. I don't care if it comes from some of the really complete flakes. I don't care if it comes from a moderate into flaky like I consider Alex I don't consider if it comes from a moderate like me or someone even way more moderate than myself I don't care what it is if I'm going to make it part of my life I'm going to examine it so that's why I think those things even matter moving into the homesteader what is the homesteader to me the homesteader is the original survivalist the homesteader is just the person that says I want to be as self-sufficient self-reliant as I can I want a little piece of land or a big piece of land that I want to provide my own food. I want to provide as much as I can of my own energy. I want to kind of exist on my own terms. And then I'll take what I choose or what I can't provide for myself by trading with society either labor or goods or services or material or money. Right? That's, that's a homesteader. So the homesteader is the person with the garden, the person with the livestock, the person with solar panels up on the roof. And I think you'll see now the reason that I put the three different classes in the title, because they all actually overlap with each other. You're not going to be a homesteader. There's absolutely no way you're going to be a homesteader without storing food. Because when you, even if you don't go out and buy food from like, you know, Mountain House or Providing Pantry or something like that, 
when you pull the garden harvest in, you're not going to be able to eat it all. And you're probably not going to sell it all because you want to live off it. And you can't grow food all year round the way you can at certain times of the year. So what are you going to do with it? You're going to preserve it now you're going to store it. You're not going to be a survivalist to not store food. You're not going to be a prepper to not store food because being a prepper entails as one of its fundamental characteristics storing food. So the three overlap. You're not going to do any one of the three of these things without having an individualist mindset. You know, you're just not. If you are conformist, you will not go into any one of these realms. Because society's not there as a whole. It's not what the majority does. So every one of us are going to be individualists. Individualists are going to ask questions. If we ask questions, we're going to get answers. If we ask enough questions, we're going to get some answers that don't quite jive with what we've been told since we were little kids and told to sit down and fold our hands and be nice at our desk in kindergarten. And we're going to realize that conformity is a problem. Because when you conform, you never are asking the question, is this the right thing for me? You're just going along. So as you break out of conformity, you're going to stop believing everything the TV, the radio, the teacher, your neighbor, your boss, your, their, your co-worker, your employee, the tax office, the cop that stops you on the street, and everything that everybody tells you, you're going to stop just taking for granted. You're going to ask more questions, lead to questions, lead to questions. right? And every answer leads to a new question. So eventually you're going to separate yourself from this belief system that everything's just hunky-dory as soon as you start down any one of these three paths and you're going to end up on some level of the spectrum that society and or you will choose to classify as a survivalist. Because what causes that crossover in the mind of not you, not me, right, not the people doing it, but what causes the crossover is as soon as you go into a point where you say, You know, the government's not telling us the truth. Everything is just prepping, common sense, stuff like that. So as you go to that, you're a survivalist. Does it matter? I don't think it does. I don't think it does except for in, in your attempt to teach other people, which is so important. Your, your intent to spread the message. Your intent to spread preparedness. The best way we can be prepared for a disaster is to have as many of us be prepared as possible. What will cause roving hordes, what will cause people rioting, what will cause civil disobedience, will be all the people doing without. So, instead of being an isolationist survivalist, my mindset has always been, let's be an evangelist survivalist. If everybody had at least 30 days worth of food in their home, and had a means of self-defense, had a means of providing some level of their heating or cooling, some level of their energy, just about any crisis could be completely cut off and abated. Anything that could happen. If we could hold society through it long enough for the leadership in society to start putting things back together and give people hope, we can get through it. 30 days separates any society from hanging on to complete oblivion. If they understand when the sand through the hourglass actually starts. See, here's the problem. Most societies can get by for 30 or 60 days. But when they're, let's say it's going to be a 60-day downfall. 40 days into the downfall, they haven't even recognized it yet because they're not paying attention. See, and that's the difference between just being a prepper or just being a homesteader and being a, kind of a, a survivalist mindset. Survivalist is paying attention enough to know, I'm now in danger. The danger zone's been entered. Things are now starting to fall apart. They're telling us everything's going to be okay. Though. They're telling us the lights will be on in a week. They're not going to be on in a week. All these people that actually believe they're going to be on in a week are going to freak out eight days from now. When it comes like, they'll, they'll be looking at their, you know, if they have a wind-up watch or whatever, binary watch is still working, and they said a week at 7 o'clock in the morning on Monday, at 7.01 on next Monday, they're going to be like, where are the lights? By 5 o'clock, they're going to be like getting really upset. When, the, when it gets dark out Monday night next week and the lights aren't on, all hell's going to start to break loose. By Tuesday, the lid's going to come off. I need to be prepared for this. I need to extra... See, and that's just one possible scenario. And that's not paranoia. That's not conspiracy. That's the human psyche. When a society as a whole has an expectation set, and as soon as that expectation is not met... Even if it's not that bad, even if the results are 
tolerable, they go nuts. Okay? We look at the stock market crash. It never had to be as bad as it was. A big part of the stock market crash was after the crash started, people freaking out liquidating everything. Because they didn't act in advance. They didn't shore things up in advance. They'd already taken the beating. They made the beating worse. That's just another example. Now, I tried to look at this from the very beginning as I started the survival podcast and go, you know, the survivalist thing doesn't work for everybody, at least not initially, because they've been kind of led to believe that only that guy out in the Idaho bunker, and again, if you're that guy and you download me over satellite and you think I'm putting you down, I am not putting you down. Right up, Like I said, right up until the every stereotype I'm fine with. Right? If you, as long as you ain't planning on blowing something up or you're not a racist, just about anything else, go with it. You know, I don't, you believe what you want. As long as you're not hurting anybody. It, so that is the, that, that gravitated point way out to the extreme is when this person comes into this and starts to realize I'm not quite safe, they'll tend to gravitate toward the prepper or homesteader thing first. But if we don't bring the survivalist component in, there's so much we're lacking. So what I tried to do was look at all three groups and find the strongest commonalities of the three and bring them together. And the result is what I've you know, kind of called modern survivalism. I feel like I created that term. I don't know that I did. Somebody may have used it before me. I don't feel like it was really out there and being marketed and being talked about the way that it is now before I started dis- discussing it. And that was its genesis, bringing those things together. And I think what it's done is it's made survivalism more palatable for a lot of people. Because you can go to somebody and say, look, I know you think survivalists are crazy. You just don't understand. But that's fine. Hey, listen to this guy talk about debt. Because I see the way you're living. And this is going to hit you right square between the eyes like a 2 by 4 if you have the guts to listen to it. And you're not going to hear anything about anything in this one show other than debt. Give this, give this a shot and see what you think. Or, hey, I know you have a garden. Listen to this guy talk about permaculture. Listen to this guy talk about how to grow a garden and never dig a hole in the ground again. Bringing the homesteader component in. And it's not... I, I never meant it to be this deception. That's why I called the show. People say, well, why didn't you call it like the Homestead Podcast or the Modern Prepper Cast or something? Because it is survivalism. So I never hid the name, but I brought all of these components out. Now, I think if we're going to understand the stigma, we have to look at why does society characterize any individualist in a negative uh, standpoint. Why, why are all individualists on some level crazy? It's because we innately, it's, it's not a conspiracy for those of you that think it is, that you know they, they don't like us because we represent the, the, the antithesis, the, the, their, their opponent in, in the global scheme to take the world over. Some, it's, it's so much more basic than that. If you take a group of people in a classroom, just a group of kids, and every one of them is dressed a certain way. And you send a new kid in that classroom that talks the same way, acts the same way, looks the same way, not the smallest, weakest kid that can be picked on, not the biggest, you know, kind of goony looking kid that goes through the growth spurt, and, you know, just a kid that should fit in. But you dress them completely different and you drop them into the middle of that group. And over the next week, they realize that kid's going to dress that way every day. Right or wrong, they're going to pick on them. And the more they find out that that kid's dressing that way by choice and choosing to be an individualist, the more he's going to get picked on at first. Eventually, you might actually see some of the other people that have started to go, why do we all dress this way, break off. And you see that in social groups and everything from kindergarten to high school, in the college, in the workplaces. It is simply a matter of fact that if we are living in a way that is that is a, it is a common accepted format as to how we're going to live. Pretty much society has agreed that we're all going to live in you know three bedroom, two bath brick houses unless we have a little bit bigger family. Then we'll get a four or a five bedroom, right? That we're all going to drive kind of decent you know newer cars, 
and we're all going to, you know, go to work, and we're all going to have a credit card, we're all going to have debt, and then we're all going to look and act and be a certain way. As soon as anybody strays from that, as soon as somebody questions that, they're going to be ostracized for a variety of reasons. One, they are a threat to the establishment. Everybody that's making their fortune off the back of the conformist society looks and goes, this could disrupt the order. You know, this is no different than during the, the, the time of the king and the nobleman, the feudal order being brought into question. So I was born someone that makes barrels, and I'm in the middle class, and that's supposed to be good. And I'm supposed I have a nice house compared to the people living in the mud huts down the road. But I don't want to be here anymore. I want to move into the merchant class. In fact, I want to, I want to be a leader of men. And I don't want to do it in the military, which was my other path at the time. And all of a sudden, the, the, you know, off with his head. Because for the people in charge, you're, you're upsetting the status quo. We have this all worked out. We don't need you messing it up. And everybody from the government official today to the bureaucrat in the school system views anybody that's a nonconformist the same way. Why do you think homeschool parents, why do you think they hate you? Do you think it's because they really care what your kids learn? That they want to indoctrinate them with some evil message? I hope you don't think that. That's not why they hate you. They hate you because for every student that walks through the door of their school, they get a certain amount of money. And money in government equals control. Government officials run a department completely counter to the way a private company runs a department. If you were running a department for a private company, and your group of people were a group of software programmers, and you guys turned out software that could be sold for $50 million a year, and you had a thousand people in your department, everything that you did would be geared around, can we do this with 500 people? Can we do it with 50? You know, can we constantly find the people that are not really the top people and put them out the door and let them go, go somewhere else? Can we bring interns in that we use for the low-level programming functions? And once they get up to a certain level, we hire the best out of that group, we put them into our main group, and we send the rest away with a great experience and a great, you know, that is the way corporate America runs. That is one of the good components of corporate America. School systems don't run that way. You want, if you're a bureaucrat, and it doesn't just be school, anything in the government, you want your department to continuously get bigger. That's how you get status. If you grow your department from 100 to 1,000, you're successful. And in both societies, when you stand up and say, I don't need to buy your craft from China, and I don't need to send my kid to your school, you're disrupting the feudal order. You're going to be ostracized. When you stand up and say, I don't have, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've done like a radio interview with kind of mainstream radio and they ask me about debt and I say about, like, they say, you don't even have a credit card? And they're like shocked. How, how do you, how, how do you live without a credit card? Oh, it's amazing. You know, there was this time in my life when I was broke and no one would give me one. I didn't have one and I lived back then and, and then I went through the time when I had one and used it like everybody else and abused it. And I lived then, and then I got rid of it, and son of a gun, I'm still here. The, no spaceship showed up and beamed me up and took me away because I didn't have a MasterCard. Well, how do you rent a car? Well, I have a bank card with a Visa logo on it. Oh, it's a credit card. No, it's a check card. It just works like a credit card. So society's put this little requirement in place for me to do certain things that I have to do once in a while. So when I have to do those, I use this middle ground. See, but all of that's nonconformity. And the real problem with nonconformity isn't really the powers that be. They don't like you. They re especially you homeschool parents. I like you. Don't take that the wrong way. They don't like you. Teachers hate you. Not all teachers, but I know a lot of teachers, and a lot of teachers hate you. Because you do more with less. You prove the flaws that actually exist in the system. And you take money out of the system by taking your children out of the system. And good for you. But as a whole, the reason that we're ostracized is because people have gotten to a point where they know they're stupid. When you are living on debt, you know you're stupid. In your heart, you know. Come on. So, I'm this guy, and I have my Lexus SUV and my Lexus car, 
And uh, so my wife can cart the kids to activities, and I have two kids, but we have an SUV big enough to carry 11 kids, you know. And I bought my first SUV when my, my wife was pregnant with my first kid. I'm still actually rolling debt from that first purchase into my third vehicle now. Or I'm leasing it and I'll never own it. I've got a house I can barely afford. Next door, this guy moves in. And he's a redneck with a couple pickup trucks. And I think, how can he afford to live here? And as I get to know him, I realize this redneck with a couple pickup trucks actually, financially, has a greater income than I do. Now, I don't understand the way he's living. And once a week, the lawn care service comes and sprays my lawn, and then a bunch of illegal aliens get out of a truck and mow my lawn. And my redneck neighbor, well, he gets his lawnmower out of his shed and he cuts his own grass. And his wife comes out and he weed-eats it. And she weed-eats the, the, the lawn. This doesn't make sense either. Then one day, my redneck neighbor says, Hey, we've been living next to each other for a while. Why don't you and, and, and your wife and I and my wife, why don't we go out and get a couple drinks together, shoot the breeze? And you have to tell your redneck neighbor, I'm sorry, it's too close to the end of the month. We're kind of low on funds. Can't afford to go out tonight. And then it clicks for you. Huh. I bet this guy's not in debt at all. Now, what that does is it says to you, you knew you were stupid, now you're looking at the results of it. And you start to resent your own life and your own decisions, but normalcy bias won't let you do it. So now you turn and you look and you resent the individualist. It's his fault, somehow. And then you turn the TV on, and you're a middle-class American, and they tell you how evil the rich are, so you hate the rich. And they tell you how evil the poor are living off welfare and you hate the poor. And the reality is, the answer to your happiness is living next door to you, but you can't tolerate it. Because you're too vested to where you are. And every other form of how the individualist is ostracized takes the same path. I won't go, there's plenty of things other than debt to illustrate this with. You know, where you get your food from. How you live your life. The fact that sometimes when you're told you have to do something, you don't. And on and on and on it goes. So, occasionally on a show, I'll, I'll do a whole show and I'll talk about money. Where money comes from, what the money supply actually is, how money equals debt. I'll go into economics, I'll talk about stock market, I'll talk about the future, I'll talk about precious metals. You'll think this is the investment hour and you're like, well if this is about survivalism, you know, do survivalists have 401ks? You bet your ass we do. We just don't put all our eggs in that one 401k basket. You know, I'll talk about insurance. Do survivalists have insurance policies? If they're not stupid, they do. No one should be more in touch with the fact that you could die tomorrow than a survivalist. You're focusing on staying alive. That necessitates understanding your mortality. So yeah, if you're a great big tough mean survivalist and you got a wife and a couple kids... You owe it to them to ensure your life so if something happens to you tomorrow, like you get hit by a bus, and I don't care how badass you think you are, you're dead. Or God just says, you know what? You had a good run. Come on. Time to come spend some time with me. You're out. That You're leaving behind a legacy, and you're leaving behind a means of support. Economics is important because most of what we prepare for is tied to economics whether it's directly or indirectly tied. What I mean by that is, one of the big things we're all concerned about right now is complete collapse of the United States economy, or even if it's not a complete collapse, a real second Great great Depression. We have not had the Great Depression. People are, oh, this is the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. It's not that you're wrong, it's that you're taking it out of context. This would be like, when people say that, it's like saying this. Let's say we run a school. And a horrible thing happens. Um, a bus crashes through the school and kills eight children. Right? And then we rebuild the school and we get it back in shape and it goes for another 40 years. And nothing happens. No children are even injured. Then one day, a student out on the playground goes into some kind of fit. And starts running around throwing stuff. And about six kids end up with skin knees and rocks hit them in the head. And they have to go get some first aid. 
but everybody's going to live, everybody's going to be okay, school's not really damaged, but it's the first thing that's actually happened in a 40-year period that even resembles an injury to a student. And the principal stands up and says, we have got a crisis on our hands, this is the worst disaster since the bus disaster 40 years ago. That's what they're doing right now, folks. This is the worst. This does not look anything like the Great Depression. If your great-grandparents and grandparents that lived through the Great Depression as adults, the ones that did it through kids, don't quite get so many things that have happened since then for those. But if you could take people that were 35, 45 years old, raising families through the Great Depression, beam them through time to here right now, let them hear that, they would grab the microphone away from whoever was saying it and smack them silly. They'd probably kick their ass down the street, tar and feather them, and roll them out into, into the outskirts of town. Because it's the most nonsensical way to draw an analogy known to man. And we're worried that one day it won't be. <laughs> that one day it won't be. That one day we could have a real Second Great Depression. Or worse. And that is a direct economic impact. And we got to understand eco- the economics of things to be prepared. Because remember what I said. Most people actually do have enough resources to get through a disaster if they recognize the point that the sand starts coming out of the hourglass. The problem is most people only recognize that when there's about 10 grains left, when it's just about to trickle out and time's up. So we got to pay attention. So we see, oh, there's the sand flowing. Now somebody might turn the thing on its side or flip it back over, but right now it's flowing. I gotta keep an eye on this and I gotta be prepared to deal with it. So that's why we have to focus on economics. Now the indirect effect. Let's look at a, just a big natural disaster. Let's say we actually had an EMP event, uh, from the sun, solar flare activity. I mean, as, as much of a act of God it could possibly be. And it's, and the sun just gets angry and this huge fireball, boom. And this huge ball of fiery, hateful plasma heads right toward Earth. And it hits perfectly aligned with our, with our atmosphere and our ionosphere and our magnetic field. That it just unleashes god awful hell when it hits. And you see the northern lights in Florida. And the grid goes down. And it's out. The lights are out. Coast to coast. Couple little pockets here and there, maybe, but overall, 90% of the United States is now without electricity. Computers don't run. Gas pumps don't run. Do you know gas pumps run on electricity? That's how they work. When you when you stick your credit card in there and charge it to Mastercard, and it goes beep. That's that's a computer, and that's an electric. And when you go in and pay the guy cash, and you come out and you flip the switch, and the pump goes, that's electricity. Lights don't come on in the house. Heaters don't work. Air conditioners don't work. People in the south are dying of heat. People in up north are freezing. Do you know the biggest bloodbath is actually economic at that point? How many of you would have a job to go to? If you don't have a job to go to, can you pay your bills? Do you think that the guy at the bank wants his mortgage payment whether or not the computer comes on? Yes, he does. Now, can, can he track you right away? No, but sooner or later, he's going to expect to get paid. So economics plays into everything because it's how we order and run society. So we have to pay attention to economics. Now what about politics? Well, a short answer with politics, and people say, I wish you wouldn't do any politics at all. And just Here's the deal. If we're going to focus on the economy, then sometimes we have to look at politics because nothing has a bigger influence on the economy that we can do something about than politics. See, those those 540-odd congressional clowns that call themselves House of Representative members to go to Washington, you have one that works for you. And that idiot, and in often case he is an idiot, has a huge influence on the economy of the United States. You also have these two clowns called senators that represent your state that go to Washington. Those guys, since there's only 100 of them, they have an even bigger influence. And then we have this great big giant clown, that lives at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, and his name changes, but he has a massive influence on the economy. Then we have other nations and the things that they're doing. And then we have all these people that have the big influence. They're called lobbyists. They spend a lot of time buying all those clowns that we send up there a whole bunch of shit. And as they keep buying them stuff, they influence things further. 
And they're not worried about making the economy better. None of them want the economy to be great. They could care less. They want their little segment of the economy to be better. And damn if they destroy everything else. It doesn't matter. If I'm a lobbyist for the tobacco company, as long as more Americans smoke this year than next year, I don't care how much tax the government takes. I don't care. As long as I make more profits for, for Philip Morse. If I'm a lobbyist for Monsanto, as long as more people are spraying their, their soybeans with Roundup and using Roundup-ready soybeans, if the rest of the economy tanks, as long as somebody still is eating soybeans, I don't care. And this is what we live with. And those two factors together have a great deal of impact on our liberty, on our freedom, and on our way of life. And we cannot focus on them every day, for God's sakes. That's, that's you know... That's mainstream media's job. If you turn on Glenn Beck or Rush Limbaugh or uh, NPR, I don't know who's on there, or any of these people, Young Turks, they're on NPR, they're all right. You know, or even the comedian version of them, the Jon Stewart's of the world. You turn that crap on, you can listen to them talk about politics till they're blue in the face, but they're not going to give you an action item. Except to hold up a sign, call somebody, yell, complain, bitch, grouse, grouse, whatever. But I don't give you anything to do to make your life better. So that's not what I do here. We look at it occasionally to understand it so we know how it's going to impact us so that we can take action. Not take action in a, in a, in a, in a protest. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. I'm glad to see America doing it. It gives me some hope. But more so we can take action in our own lives. And we know whether or not, again, we look at the hourglasses, the sand starting to flow. Somebody pulled the plug out of the bottom. Are we on a countdown to a crisis right now? How bad will it be if that last grain runs out? Is it going to be really bad or just a little bit bad? How bad will it be for me and where I'm at? Do I need to get the hell out of here? If we don't pay attention to that stuff, we can't really prepare. People say you can, but you can't. Now, if you're that dude out in Idaho in the bunker, that's where you've got an advantage. You can just go on with your life. And 99% of what these idiots will do will never, they can't even waste the time to go mess with you. So I understand why you go out there. I get it. But for the rest of us that have still some engagement with society, we got to pay attention. And we have to do something to try to influence things just so we can feel better about it if it doesn't work out. You know, when they were about to pass that health care bill, I said, you call your congressman and your senator, and if you don't want this thing, you tell them and you let them know. And they're going to pass it over your head anyway. And I had everybody wanted me to rally the troops. I had all kinds of people emailing me, here's how to stop it. Here's how to I said, I ain't going to stop it. They're going to do it. Fight it anyway. And that's all I can say about it. Because this has been ordained. It's going to happen. People thought I was crazy and I wasn't. But that's why we have to pay attention. Now, I want to tell you why I think we're actually the normal members of society. We're not the crazy ones. We might be the individualist, we might be the nonconformist, but we're not we're not insane. We're actually the most rational sane people in the world. It is insane to live a life as though you are not mortal. That is an insane activity. Because anybody can be convinced that that's not true any day by picking up a copy of your local paper and turning to a little section of it called the obituaries. Most people seem to have an almost morbid fascination with reading the if you're a newspaper reader, you seem to, you know, most of those people seem to have this morbid fascination with the obits. I never did. Never really understood it. Now when I lived in a small town, I would turn to them just because odds are most of the people in there you knew or knew their family. So it was kind of like a Hey, I just want to make sure that, because when you're in a small community like that, you know, usually you find out pretty quick in a bigger community because you've got this close-knit group and somebody tells you. But in a small town, it's kind of expected that you would know. Maybe Facebook's making that happen now um, on a larger scale. But, you know, to me, I just never got these people that, like, read every word of the obituaries, people you never met. But the same person that does that is going to turn around and not have life insurance and live their life free and fast and deeply in debt with no plan for tomorrow. Dude, the obituaries convinced you immediately, if you're not stupid, that you'll, you can die. So survivalists live, preppers live, homesteaders live with the concept of I have to be prepared in case I'm not here tomorrow. And society in general, even though they have things like life insurance on some level, pretty much live their life as though I have to, to 100 years at least. And almost nobody makes it that long. 
who's insane? Seriously, who's nuts? Um, I think it's insane to not have more than a couple days worth of food in your your house. I, I don't understand. Okay, you know you have to eat every day, right? Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. All right. <laughs> have you ever gone a day without food intentionally? No. Or maybe once for a fast, right? Or something like that. But have you ever gone a week without eating? Oh, no. No, I mean, have you ever gone 30 days without food? No. Well, what would happen if you did? I might die. I'd definitely be in bad shape. Well, how much food do you have in your house? I don't know. A couple days worth? Who's crazy? Who's insane? It's not sane to me to believe everything the TV tells you. How many times have we been told by politicians, by companies, by newscasters, the facts are A, B, C, D. For years, the same story, A, B, C, D. That's the way that it is. Only to have somebody leak out and go, the facts are X, Y, Z, 3. I ain't even, not even one lines up. Not one. Absolutely conclusively overturning the lie we've been told it's happened over and over and over again. The scandal is not even a scandal anymore. They're like, of course they lied. And then they turn around and they run their life based on what the TV says. The guy on the TV says, oh, stock market's going to go on a bull run now. They start buying. Right? Oh, the economy's going to recover. They vote for the clown that's in office. The economy's in trouble. They vote against the clown that's in office. Like lemmings. Whatever direction the, the the spin sends them, they go. They bifurcate it into two camps. Democrats and Republicans. Liberals and conservatives, right? And then whatever the liberal message is, the liberals follow the liberal message, the conservatives follow the conservative message, the guys on the other side are crazy, white-winged, fascist extremists, and those guys over there are evil, socialist, Marxist baby killers. They're killing your baby right now. And we live in a society of class warfare. We hate each other. And the people that are behind the box, they're on our side. And some of the people on the box, they're on the other side. And we will listen to the box when it's on our side. And we will regale against the box when it's on the other side. And if we could just get everybody on our side to be in control, we would be great. This country would resume being the great country that it once was. If all the Democrats were in power, if all the Republicans were in power, if we could just cast out the other side. And I'm crazy, because I don't believe that. I'm nuts, you're nuts, you're insane, because you realize sometimes the other side has a point that fighting your neighbor is really not what it's all about. Because there's a system in place designed to keep society in a controlled order that we're often lied to by both sides, that often both sides are lying collectively, intentionally, in cooperation. We are aware of this. We live our lives apart from this, and we're the insane ones. See, this is why I don't get it. This is why I don't get how, whenever I talk to anybody who eventually just says, I think all of you people are crazy, I just feel like saying, as my son so often says, really? I'm crazy. I'm crazy because I question people who have been proven in the past to have lied to me over and over and over and over again. I'm crazy because in 2008 I said, get your money out of the stock market. You didn't do it. You took a bath and I didn't and I'm the crazy one. I'm crazy because when I lost jobs, I didn't care. You're not because when you lost jobs, you almost lost everything you owned. I'm crazy because at 38, I'm fixing to go live my dream, and you're 58, and you're still a slave. And I'm crazy. See, I just don't get it. I believe that we are the ones to behave like normal human beings. That growing your own food is a human act. That being in touch with your food supply, human act. Not trusting the words that come out of somebody's mouth who has in the past lied to you, human activity. Right? To do, to do the converse, to be completely disassociated with your food supply, not human. Insane. Right? To trust someone who's repeatedly lied to you in the past, this time they're telling me the truth, not human. Insane. 
psychotic. And I believe that the average American today is existing in a psychotic state for a variety of reasons. One, because they've been flat out brainwashed. Two, because as soon as you don't conform, all the other monkeys around you that are conforming start picking on you. It's easy to conform. It's hard to, res to, to resist. Resist anyway. All of a sudden, when you resist, all the little monkeys look around at you and go, Oh, oh he's going to keep doing it even if we yell at him and throw feces and bananas at him. He's just not going to stop. Okay, pretend he's not there. And as soon as they stop pretend start pretending you're not there, you wake up to this whole world of reality, and all of a sudden your life gets easier, your life gets better, and you're prepared. And people say to me, well, what do I say to my cousin, my uncle, my brother, my, my father, my, my son, my whatever, my dad, that thinks I'm crazy? I say, are they going to pay your bills when you lose your job? That's what I say. Are they going to feed you when, when, when tough times come and they can't feed themselves? The hell with what they say. Live your life your way. If they're really your friend or they're really your loved one, they'll still accept you. They might consider you a little bit nuts, but you're going to look at them and think they're crazy, so it's okay, it's fair. Both of you feel the same way about each other. Tell me the truth. How many people in your family do you really think are completely sane? Do you think your father is a completely sane human being? Your mother, your brother, your cousin, your Uncle Bill, right? How many people in your family do you already think are a little bit crazy? Why worry about it? They already think you're crazy. Live your life. So we're going to do this. What's that recipe for success I mentioned at the beginning? Number one, develop systemic independence. This is what I call self-sufficiency. You will not be in the modern world unless you are an isolationist. You could be the isolationist survivalist or the isolationist homesteader. You know, the hippie that collects stuff out of the junkyard and makes a little electric car to drive around is... 20 acres in the desert that he was able to pick up enough soda bottles to buy or whatever. You can be that guy if you want to. And you can be the guy that's hiding from the black helicopters in the bunker or anything like that if you want to. But most people don't want to be that way. In spite of the fact that I think most of society is insane, I like people. I don't like crowds, but I like people. If I didn't like people, if I didn't love people, I couldn't do this show every day. But being 100% dependent is where most people are. So self-sufficiency is not about, you know, if the lights go out, I have a flashlight. We'll get to that next. Self-sufficiency is part of the lights in my home run on a solar panel. If I provide 20% of my electricity for my solar panels, then I have 20% systemic independence. I have 20% self-sufficiency from an energy standpoint. If I grow 50% of the food I consume... I have 50% self-sufficiency. So step one, develop some level of systemic independence. Set goals and meet them. Once you meet them, exceed them. Keep pushing toward 100% knowing you'll probably never get there. You know? That's, that's, that's the deal. You're always trying to get one more percentage point. And at some point, maybe you reach kind of an equilibrium. I'm happy with this. Half of what I need in my life I provide for myself. And if I had to, I could do without and live with just that 50%. But develop systemic independence. The next one, develop sufficient forward wealth. For when being partially self-sufficient is not enough. This is self-reliance. This is the flashlight for when the lights go out. Flashlight is not self-sufficiency. It has batteries. When the batteries wear out, it doesn't work anymore. Now it's not good for anything except maybe it's a mag light. You can club somebody or something with it. It's not used on a daily basis to account. You know, you don't read with it. You turn the light on when you read. I guess you could read with it, but you get my point. See, I think America has become completely turned upside down in what wealth is. Wealth is, and this is from a guy named Buckminster Fuller. Wealth is the ability to survive a given number of days forward if you can no longer do things to survive. In other words, if you lose your job, how long can you pay your bills? It doesn't matter if you're a millionaire. If you live in a house with a mortgage of a half a million dollars a month, you have two months worth of wealth as far as your shelter goes. That's it. That's all. So... When you look at your wealth, you have to say to yourself, if all of my systems of support were cut off, 
And I had to rely just on my self-sufficiency and just on the stuff I've laid up as a prepper for my self-reliance. How far could I go? If it's 30 days, you have 30 days worth of wealth. If it's a year, you have a year's worth of wealth. So develop sufficient forward wealth to make yourself comfortable in your life. Knowing what you know. Not living like the sheep. Focus on what you want in your life. That's the next one. So many people focus on what they don't want. I don't want a job that sucks. I don't want debt. I don't, uh, the I don't wants are great ways to write, because it's easier to come into touch with it. Because we're naturally, as human beings, we complain. That's what we do. We bitch. So you sit down and you write it all down. That should be the last time you look at it. All that should do is, I don't want to be in debt. Over here, I want to be free of all debt. That's what I want, not what I don't want. I don't want a job that sucks. I want meaningful employment. I don't want to have to ask for vacation. I want freedom. I don't want to have to go to the grocery store. I want my own food supply. And I can't make your list. Maybe all of those things are on it. Maybe some of those things are on it. You have to make your own list. But you have to focus on what you want your life to be like. It's the positive, you know, mental aspect of survivalism. You, that's why you do have to pay attention to politics, but you can't focus on it. There's no way. You can't be focused on what our politicians are doing and have a positive outlook on life. Because what they're doing is so damn negative. It has to be, okay, I'm aware of this, but I'm going to fight it, and I'm going to go on and live my life my way. You can't stay focused on the fact that our economy is run with nothing but leveraged debt. You have to focus on what you want in your life. That's a huge aspect of getting what you really want, is to be focused on it in the first part. You have to be informed, but do not be overly influenced by society. You have to be willing for the monkey to throw the banana peel or worse at you the first time you stand up and say, I'm not going to do this. You have to accept the fact that the second you don't do things the way society does, some people aren't going to like it. Some people are going to resent you. Some people are going to write you off. Some people are going to hate you. And if you don't think some people hate us, you're wrong. They do. Now, here's the reality. If you don't focus on them, if you don't care about them, you it won't matter. It doesn't have any impact on you. But I guarantee you, back to homeschoolers, if you're a homeschooling family, there are members of the administration, the, the, the school administration, that, that despise you. That you, two, two more students like you coming to their school would get them the grant that they need to buy a new, uh, what do you call it, seesaw, or whatever it is. The fact that you, you know, that guy that calls you, hi, I'm Habib, I would like to tell you about the MasterCard. I don't do MasterCard anymore. Click. He doesn't care. He just calls the next person who got the job that was outsourced from an American to India. Somebody in that organization that sits down at the end of each week with a huge spreadsheet and looks at the raw underlying numbers hates the segment of society that started saying no to MasterCard. When you go out and you grow that garden in your backyard and they write stories in the news that say that the American gardening revolution doesn't really matter, it's not that big a deal, it just doesn't matter at all. If every American planted every inch of their suburban backyard, produced every ounce of food that they could, we'd still be dependent on big agriculture. We couldn't feed ourselves if we tried. It wouldn't even make a dent in the global demand, even though they write that. The guy that works for Monsanto, that looks at the overall trend that's down for Monsanto, where they made half the profit this year they did the year before, hates you. Some people are going to hate you. That's all right. You notice this show's not called How to Win Friends and Influence People. How to Survive. Nobody has ever made a true impact on the planet for the positive that wasn't hated. No matter how well esteemed they may seem to be today, somebody hated them. Don't you think people hated Gandhi? Don't you think there were people that hated Mother Teresa? There were definitely people that hated Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Andrew Jackson was one of the most hated people in the world by some segments of society. 
Jesus Christ and his apostles were hated. It's good to be hated. It means you're making a difference. It's important that we understand that. You're not there to be liked. All you have to do is be yourself. You know, people tell you that when you're a kid. Just be yourself, Johnny. It'll work out. Well, you know what? A lot of times in a place with complete conformity like a classroom, that doesn't work out for our kids. They're picked on. They're bullied if they stand out in any way, shape, or form. Every nail that's a little bit higher has to be hammered down. But we don't live in classrooms. We're conditioned in them, but we don't live in them. So don't be afraid to stick out. Don't be afraid to be disliked. Don't be afraid to be hated. And realize if you are ever going to do anything that really matters, if you are ever going to really influence people, if you are ever going to influence people to the point where they make changes in their life one way or the other, somebody's going to hate you. So what? Who cares? Do it anyway. You'll be in good company. The next one is focus on and defend liberty. I think the common ideal that we should all share is liberty for the individual. The right to do as I please so long as I don't hurt anybody else. The right to my private property. The right to keep what I earn. Focus on and defend liberty. I'll leave it at that today for that one. Because I want to finish up. The last one though, the most important one, even though some people won't like you, even though some people will resent you, even though some people will write stories in the media that lump you in with a group of people that you have nothing to do with and don't want anything to do with, you need to be out there on some level. Be an eternal teacher and an eternal student. Always be learning from somebody else and always be teaching what you know. It is so important that you're passing on knowledge. It's so important to be an individual. You need to learn how to do things for yourself to be independent, but then your responsibility is to teach people how to do the same thing and to learn from them. And I'll tell you a secret about teaching. It's the greatest way to learn that there is. If I tell you something, you have, let's say, a factor of one as likelihood of remembering exactly what I've told you. If I tell you and show you, that goes to a factor of ten. If I tell you and show you, and then make you do it one time, the likelihood that you will remember how to do it is a factor of one hundred. But if I tell you, show you, make you do it, and then say, teach me how, even though I know how, you now teach me. So you do it a second time and show me how to do it. And I play dumb. And make you make me do it, the factor of your memory will go to a thousand. It will be virtually impossible for you to forget how to do something once you've taught somebody how to do it one time. It's the greatest learning tool in the world is to teach. And it's the greatest responsibility that I believe we have as survivalists, homesteaders, and preppers to learn the skills, to learn the methods, and to pass them on. Because we had a group of people doing that. They were our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and our great-great-grandparents. There was a time not so long ago when we were the normal ones. 150 years ago. Society made great leaps in technology, and that's wonderful, and we all partake of them. If you didn't, you wouldn't listen to me. I'm on a computer being communicated to you through a compressed file hosted on another computer somewhere else, transmitted across thousands of miles at the damn near the speed of light, processed by a computer that can do more work than the computers that took us to the moon in, the 19, in 1969. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is something wrong with being completely dependent upon it and assuming that it will always, always be there. We need to use our technology and not forget our wisdom. We need to reclaim the, the, the wisdom and the skills from the past and make them part of the technological present. That's modern survivalism. That's what I've been trying to do here for two and a half years now. I appreciate the fact that you guys have been here with me and helped make it a greater show uh, than I ever thought it could become. I don't say this often enough. I'll say this today as I close. Thank you, thank you, thank you to every person that's ever listened even one time. To every person that's ever shared this show, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. 
for taking it and putting it into one other person's hands and saying, give this a chance. Maybe it can help you. Thank you so much. To all of you who have written me, thank you so much. To all of you who have called in, thank you so much. To all of you who have been part of my forum, thank you to every single person that sent me a link to an article, whether I've used it or not. To every single person that sent me a question, and thank you so much to every one of you that's emailed me and told me about the impact that things have had on your life. You're the reason the show is what it is. You're the reason that I stuck with it. You're the reason that I've made it a success. The show is not mine. It is yours. I am just your host. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. You don't have to be another face in the crowd. Nobody up there cares.